0: You're listening to That's the Hashtag Truth with Daniel and Jenny Muscatel, where we let real people get real honest about the bottom line. So today we have joining us Gregory Hall, who hosts the Rethinking Scripture podcast, and you can find him at RethinkingScripture.com. He challenges listeners to rethink what they thought they already knew about the Bible. He's been a real estate broker triathlete, pastor, tour leader to Israel, and university professor. Recently, he added published author to the list with the release of his first book, Rethinking Rest, Why Our Approach to Sabbath Isn't Working. Greg lives in the Pacific Northwest with his wife, Lisa. Greg, welcome. Welcome We're so excited to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and, and looking forward to the conversation.
2: Us too.
0: Me too. I, okay. So you, your book came across my screen and the title alone had me hooked. I was like, all right, (laughs) rethinking rest. This is something that we all need to have a conversation about because it's something I think we don't quite get right.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, I think our society needs it. The secular world is looking for rest. Uh, those within the church have been looking for rest and i think uh well the premise of the book is that we've missed it slightly uh and maybe our understanding of what uh, the discussion is about mm-hmm. and then the application obviously um could be better so
0: so what do you think people think about when they think rest you know currently what do you think that most people feel rest is
1: yeah so when i uh, uh talk have a chance to talk to people, I usually start with that question when when I say spe- especially biblical rest um as a subcategory of that uh, what comes to mind and usually the responses I get are centered around some idea of that seventh day Sabbath that the Old Testament talks about. Mm-hmm the fourth commandments that we find in Exodus chapter 20, it's repeated again in Deuteronomy chapter five. Um, So some idea around taking some time off every week, uh, whether that be a 24 hour period of time or some other uh, variation of that. Um, The problem is that I have found, and maybe you could uh, (laughs) pitch in on this as well. We, we have a hard time agreeing exactly what that concept even means. And um, I don't know if you have a history or um, have practiced or tried to practice or grew up in a culture that suggested that would be a good thing to do.
0: Rest.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take take the day.
0: Yes. So yeah.
2: Well, like in my extended, when I was really young, my extended Family would be like you go to church, then you get together with family, and that's that's your day. So uh, I've gotten that concept, sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a group within the church, uh, especially, that um, there's a subcategory that says, you know, we should be trying to maybe get back to the Old Testament idea of uh, Friday night to Saturday night. Uh, because that's what's described in the Old Testament. Um, right. uh, again, a 24-hour period of time there of rest where we stop working and we do something different. Um, uh, there's another larger category, obviously, that thinks Sunday is that day, and that's obviously the the time when most uh, Christians gather to worship is on Sundays, so that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The idea, though, was kind of expanded back In Martin Luther's time in the 1500s, when he kind of gave some more freedom to the idea that he understood some people needed to work on Sunday. So you could choose another day of the week that might fit your schedule better. So that felt like a lot of freedom. Right. And then that's morphed into maybe I could piecemeal parts of a Sabbath experience together (laughs) throughout the week. Like maybe I've got two hours on, you know, Tuesday afternoon and another three hours on Wednesday morning and then maybe Saturday afternoon, I could, I could get the rest of it. (laughs) The the problem with all those is they're all based on this one idea of what the Bible, they suggest that what the Bible is ultimately talking about is just physical rest for our bodies. Mm -hmm. And um, as I researched Uh, the topic more as I went through my master's program and my doctoral program. I just started noticing stuff in the Bible that suggested maybe we're missing the mark a little bit. Maybe it's not about physical rest. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but physical rest for me is very fleeting, even when I get some. Uh, it seems like it's gone very quickly and that I'm just right back where I was before it all started.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely a vicious cycle.
2: Can I ask what led you to study this topic in the first place? Because there's so many topics in the Bible, but you landed on on this and have so many good things to say about it. How'd you get there?
1: Yeah, so... um you know, a lot of people, when they write books, it comes out of personal experience first. Something happens in their life, and then they maybe go to Scripture to find the answer, and then they write about it. Um, I was almost exactly opposite that. I'm I <laughs> i was. I'm kind of a Bible nerd uh, at heart, and I was taking some Bible classes uh, as part of my master's program, Master's in Theology. One of the classes was just a Bible survey. New Testament Bible survey. And so we were marching through, you know, biblical topics and the books of the New Testament. We got to the book of Hebrews and I had never spent a ton of time in the book of Hebrews. Uh, It's very theological. It's pretty deep. um, And so it was kind of fun waiting my way through, but then we got to chapter three and four pretty early in that study. And the author takes the better part of those two chapters to discuss this topic of rest. And what I noticed, here's what got me hooked. What I noticed is that the author of Hebrews takes us back into the Old Testament several times to illustrate his point about rest. Mm. And I expected him, based on my history growing up in the church, and uh, like probably both of you, uh, having interacted with this idea of Sabbath, uh, in various ways throughout my life, I expected him to go back to the author, to go back to Exodus chapter 20, uh, and talk about the fourth commandment, because that's what I thought Sabbath rest was, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but the author doesn't do that. And that was very intriguing to me, um, takes us other places and gives us other illustrations and doesn't mention Moses as at all mm. which is interesting because Moses is the one that's kind of associated with that old testament law you know sure. the law of Moses so it almost seemed like he was uh, the author was steering clear of getting entangled in that conversation and was taking us a different direction mm-hmm. and so that kind of got me hooked and then as as I continued to study more and uh, got further down that rabbit hole, because once you start tracing stuff back to the old Testament, then, you know, you can get lost back there. I don't know if that's happened to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, you're probably wondering, well, where's the author of Hebrews take us? <laughs> so, uh, the main point that he, uh, makes one of the main points is that, uh, as believers, we have an opportunity to enter into a rest that is similar to uh, God's rest uh, mm. when God rested, and obviously that begs the question: Well, when was it that God was working and then God rested? And that's uh, referring to the creation account in Genesis chapter one and two, it ends at the beginning of chapter two. So um, I went back there, and that just blossomed and opened up a whole nother whole different set of ideas because I had preconceived notions of what that meant, what, you Mm -hmm. know, God read. And honestly, it never really made sense to me because God was always explained to me as being all powerful and all knowing. And yet he's taking time to rest, um, which I equate with, uh, exhaustion (laughs) <laughs>
0: that's when I. Re- that's when I
1: rest. Right,
0: rest collapse. I mean,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> lying in a hammock, and I just couldn't couldn't picture God lying in a hammock. That would be a big, very big hammock. So, yeah. So, um, when you get back to Genesis, uh, it's interesting because there have been a number of uh, theologians, and this is where I going into my doctoral program. So I've been thinking about this for years at this point, because I'd started my master's in like 2005 or 2006. I started thinking about that. And then when I got into my doctoral program years later, I was introduced to a theologian by the name of John Walton, Mm -hmm. who's really well known within academic circles. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's one of the leading Old Testament scholars in the world right now. He teaches at Wheaton College in Illinois, and um, he's just not as well-known in popular circles uh, within church walls uh, with laity. So um, he has made a career of going in not only reading the Bible, but putting it in its ancient Near Eastern context. Mm-hmm. And he has found creation stories that are extra biblical. So these are uh, stories about pagan gods out in you know the secular world mm-hmm. but they're from an, a similar time period and they have some similarities and one of the similarities he found was that in some of these pagan stories of creation the deity which is a pagan god who has had to wrestle with all the other gods and fight with them for the right to actually set up the cosmos so that's one huge difference that the bible has it's presenting, you know, there's not really a pantheon of gods. It's just mm-hmm. one. Right. And he didn't have to fight anybody. <laughs> but the process of the uh, putting organization and structure to the universe uh, that we see in the Bible hmm. is kind of similar to some of these pagan accounts. And then at the end of some of them, The pagan god will build the temple. He'll put an image within that temple, which is uh, usually a statue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it says that the pagan god rests at that point, which is really interesting. (laughs) And John Walton thought that was interesting as well, because if we can go to secular society and understand what they would have understood about that idea of rest, Mm because the Bible was written in a similar time period and a similar ancient Near Eastern culture that may shed some light as to how we should be maybe perceiving it in the Bible. Um, and maybe we'll have a better idea in the ancient Near Eastern idea. When a pagan deity rests, it is synonymous with his rule. Okay. So he's beginning his rule. So if you get a picture of a king sitting down on a throne, that's where the king rests, mm-hmm. because he is ruling. He is in his place to be, and he's doing what his position is meant to do. He's mm-hmm. ruling. And I I found that interesting. A lot of people have found that interesting, because if you import that basic idea to the biblical text, mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense. It, It To me, it makes more sense than God having to take a day off from all work. It suggests that maybe that transition from day six to day seven that we read about in the Bible could just be a ceasing, because that's what uh, the Hebrew Shabbat, Sabbath, Mm -hmm. it literally just means ceasing, stopping. So maybe that transition from day six to seven is more of a Change in type of work instead of a stopping of all work.
2: Okay. So, one thing you're saying, I think, is since God set everything up in the way he wanted it to be set up, and he saw that everything was functioning how he intended, then he sat back on his throne, so to speak, and watched things kind of pan out or work themselves out according to what he did.
1: Yeah. So sitting on the throne. Great. Good idea. I think sitting back on the throne, I, um, I would say he's leaning forward on his throne and just the connotation of that would be, he's not kind of sitting back to watch what happens like Mm -hmm. a hands-off type situation. He's actually fully engaging in the rule of the cosmos that he has just set up. Mm -hmm. So just kind of picture a fully engaged king beginning the rule after. Uh, so think about a board game. Um, you would pull a board game out of a closet that you know you might store games in. Bring it to the table. You open up the box. You get the board out. You set up all the pieces. You pass out the cards that need to go to each player. That's days one through six. He's creating the organization and structure. To which to play the game the mm-hmm. game of life uh you know, so you know the game of life that would that's a good that's there's a good. actually a game called life <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um and then if 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 we use that analogy days one through six is setting up the board getting it ready getting the players in place everybody's given a place to be and something to do there's order and structure to the universe and I think we can clearly see that. Just reading through, no matter how you read the creation account, because there's a lot of different ways people approach that from, you know, literal days to figurative days to material creation to other types of, no matter how you read it, uh, if you hold the Bible to be sacred text, it's clear that God's giving structure and order Mm -hmm. to a cosmos that is chaotic before he gets his hands on it. and so day 7 then is okay everything's in place let's do it. And one of those things if if day 7 is really the beginning of his rule it's not a day off it's not inactivity he's actually just switching the type of activity he does it's a ceasing of one type mm-hmm. the organization and structure and then it's the beginning of the rule and on day 6 of creation When humanity is created, it's interesting because it's described, you guys know this, it's described as we are made in his image. So he creates an image bearer, which fits into the ancient Near Eastern culture. He places it within his temple, which uh, a lot of people, a lot of theologians see Garden of Eden as a temple type situation. It's not a building like we would typically see a temple, but It's the special place of God's presence, and that's what a temple is.
2: Sacred ground, so to speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so he places his image within a temple-like area, and then he begins his rule. And he's invited us as humanity to rule with him. That's part of day six. You will rule and subdue. And so he's inviting us into the process. And if God's rule—now here, let's connect some dots. From Hebrews, because mm-hmm. Hebrews says that a believer's rest is similar to God's rest. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about day seven of creation. If God's rule is his rest, he's invited us into that rest by inviting us into his rule.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He invites us to be image bearers here on the earth as we rule the way he would. Under his first six days of organization and structure,
0: it kind of um, gives a whole new huh. thought process, I guess, to the phrase "It is good." It's kind of like ah, perfect. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Come on yeah. in. Yeah.
1: So that that good, uh, you're. I think you're referring back to the description used throughout uh, Genesis chapter one, right? It's yeah. Um, it's you know something's put in its place given a thing to do. That's mm-hmm. that's the way I describe what's happening in those first six days is everything is given a place to be and a thing to do. Mm-hmm. And at the end of each of those, uh, it's described as good. And in ancient Near Eastern speak, that's just saying it's working properly. Okay, This is the way it was intended to work. And then when we get to the end of day six, what's the description? It's not good anymore. It's very good. Very good. <laughs> which just means it's really working well. Everything is done. Mm-hmm. All right. Which allows which allows God to switch the type of work he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also I don't know if you remember some of Jesus' teaching. Um uh, is it okay to do evil or good on the Sabbath? Was one of the questions he posed to the Pharisees because they were challenging, you know, healing of Uh, um, somebody on a Sabbath day and he's like, is it okay to do evil or good?
0: The hand, I think it was somebody. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That shriveled, that shriveled hand. And um, the conclusion he came out, obvious conclusion is it's okay to do good. Right. Mm -hmm. Pharisees were having a hard time seeing that, I guess, but (laughs) (laughs) um, I think, and this may be a bit of a stretch, but I think the concept that Jesus was talking about there. Kind of goes back to those first six days. What's good? What is it that is good? It's making sure things are brought out of the chaos. Mm-hmm. And when I say chaos, I just mean things aren't functioning properly. Mm-hmm. That's what was happening in the first six days. God was taking things that weren't functioning. There was land there, but it was covered with water in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So He's separating the land and the waters, and he's giving everything a place to be, and then he gives things, everything a thing to do. Mm-hmm. And what he's doing with that man's hand, what Jesus is doing, is he's taking, if you can picture it, a shriveled hand that's non-functional. It's not functioning the way it was created to function, and he's bringing function and order back to a hand so that it can do... That's good, right? Mm -hmm. He's bringing chaos under control, Mm -hmm. bringing function and order back to the cosmos. And that's what we're called to do as believers then. Um, Our search for rest is making full circle to the beginning of our conversation now. (laughs) Our search for rest is not looking for another day off or looking forward to another day off it's really looking for those places that God has invited us to bring his function and order into a world that is filled with chaos. And um, uh, no matter who you are, humanity, you have a story of chaos in your life where things just didn't happen the way they were supposed to happen. And
0: And I just want to say, I mean, that makes so much sense. It really does. I am thinking as you're talking about a lot of different things in comparison between the New Testament when <laughs> Jesus came and shook things up My a little bit attorney. and, uh, you know, he's, he's shaking them up, so to speak, but like you say, to put them back in order and just as, um, he kind of separated things out into functions to have it all function together. he kind of spoke that to people as well when he said, when you follow me, that maybe the things you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the things you know about this world are not going to be the way that you know them. Brother and sister, father and child will be separated. But really, it's the idea or the pressures, I think, that we put on ourselves, the things we've adopted in our own mind about how things should go. And when we let go of those things and we follow him, we are separating from those ideas, but joining into, like you say, this mm. this place of rest.
1: Yeah. And I like to describe it as, you know, the first six days of organization is finished. Um, mm. That's what ceased. And God never went back and said, oops, I kind of made a small mistake on you know, day four or day five. So we got to go back and redo some of that. No, uh, it's done. That's kind of the message of the creation story is that organization and structure has been set up to work properly the way we've been created. The problem is our tendency in a fallen world outside the garden of Eden experience where God's rest and rule uh, resides is to try and reorder go back into days 1 through 6 mm-hmm. and give new structure and order i think this should happen differently i think that um, the uh, financially aggressive person that takes advantage of others should be on top and not somebody with a humble heart like jesus was saying mm-hmm. i think that this whole world should operate differently so i'm going to go out there and i'm going to create my own order
2: Mm.
1: Well, how's that going for
2: us? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right. Uh,
1: That's really the story of Adam and Eve. That's where after the first creation story ends in Genesis 2-4, we go into the Garden of Eden story with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And so that's a story of humanity in their place of rest, living under God's rule and order. And what were the rules? It was really just one. Um don't eat from that tree
2: <laughs> because
1: and it's not about the tree or the fruit uh in physicality, it's about what that tree represented it It was a tree of wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. and that's the whole discussion between the serpent and Adam and Eve, humanity is, oh God doesn't want you to know that, but you just need to know you could be like him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and being like him means what the serpent didn't say is, oh, by the way, when you're like him and you know those things, then you have to go create your own order, and that's going to be horrible for you. Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. And
1: so that's what they did. They tried to go back into days one through six mm-hmm. uh, after God had said, nope, that work is done. And the result was they were exiled from their rest. They were removed from their place of rest, the Garden of Eden.
2: Mm-hmm
1: still doing the same work by the way i don't know if you noticed that they're still trying to subdue and rule the world mm-hmm. it's just going to be done in a state of pain and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's not going to be as easy and as natural as it should be as it, as we were created to be and we think of that pain as being physical pain talks about a woman giving birth and the labor pains Mm-hmm. I haven't done that, but I understand I was there twice when it happened. And <laughs> I'm so glad I'm a guy. Uh, <laughs> um, the uh, And it talks about Adam's uh, labor and how that will be painful, the toil of working the land. Mm-hmm. I think we're missing the boat if we just focus on the physical pain there. I think it's the emotional pain um, that comes along with not being at rest with God. That is really
2: mm.
1: um, what's being addressed there. That's really the thing. Mm. Um, when a when a couple gets pregnant outside the garden, without access to the tree of life, that um, so we're stuck in our mortality uh, mm-hmm. outside the garden. When a couple gets pregnant and we find out we've got a child on board. Um, it's not just the physical pain of the labor that causes heartache. It's, it's the world into which we know we're bringing that child. Mm -hmm. And it's a world of suffering that will ultimately end. We know this when we first conceive, it's an, it's an end that will ultimately end in the death of that child. And that's painful, Mm -hmm. even though life is great, right? Mm Life's awesome. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I want to check out for any reason. <laughs> I really enjoy what I'm doing, but there's just hard stuff mm-hmm. that happens in life. And it's a reminder that this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it was in the beginning. It's not the way it will be in the end. And in the middle here that we find ourselves, we have an opportunity to enter into a rest that goes well beyond just physical ceasing of work mm-hmm. it's a rest that brings our soul into a state of yeah where i'm i'm in my place and i'm doing my thing the way mm-hmm. i was intended to yeah
0: so so my mind is swimming
1: yeah with go
0: as you know you talk about this it's very thought provoking First i have to say i bet your podcast is fabulous i can imagine the conversations <laughs> that happen there um you definitely have a gift at being able being able to produce deep thoughts and i think you're a deep thinker as i think about the garden of eden and eve going to the tr- the one tree <laughs> that she's not <laughs> supposed to go to the tree of knowledge you know i'm also thinking back to the verses in All throughout the Bible, really, but you know, I think of Solomon, I think of Proverbs, I think of the points where God says, If you ask for wisdom, I will give it to you and give it to you abundantly. And I never really thought about the parallel until you brought this up about how it's okay to go to God and ask for wisdom, He wants us to, He tells us He'll give it to us abundantly as He wants to give it to us. But if we go, Ourselves try to take matters into our own hands, seek out that tree, so to speak, in our own ways of thinking (laughs) that aren't necessarily right with God all the time. We are going to find ourselves in a situation. And then taking that even further and applying it just to the simple things of everyday life. How many times have you? done something with your time, that's a good thing because it's a really good thing to do. Maybe you've served in your community in a certain way and there's nothing wrong about that. It's a really good thing to do, but you get yourself tied up in something that is beneficial, good. How could you see anything wrong with that? But it's not necessarily the thing that God has called you specifically in your zone that you were created for to do. and so that good thing can actually distract you from the right path, the easy path, the path that God wants you to be on.
1: Yeah, totally. I I agree. There's lots of opportunities, especially I used to be a pastor. I was a pastor for 10 years, lots of opportunities in the church, and there's sign-up sheets everywhere for you to get involved, <laughs> right? That's kind of the way we do it. Um. But we've been gifted as individuals in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a, at the church I used to work at, we had a quilters club. And I always looked at that going, what in the world? A quilters club? I would never join that. (laughs) And yeah, there were faithful people that came every week and made quilts for uh, premature babies that were born. And I was like, you know what? That's a needed thing. I mean, this is this is a great ministry. It's not the ministry I'm supposed to be involved in. <laughs> I'm pretty clear about that, <laughs> because I've been gifted in different ways. And um, thank God that we're di- different, right? Because if we were all the same, we just we wouldn't get anything done, sure. right? And so we have to lean in on the, that idea of God's given us a place to be. And those places change. I call them sweet spots in my book. Um, it's that place when you get done doing the thing that you're doing, you just know, oh, that's what I was made to do. That, mm-hmm. And those things change throughout life. I mean, I tell the story of I was an athlete when I was in my college days. And then that part of my life, uh, you know, I'm still somewhat athletic, but that part of my life dramatically changed when I graduated and I went into, and I found a different sweet spot and uh, throughout life I found I've had to find, I've had to pivot as life has changed and sent me in different directions. Um, And uh, podcasting, for instance, is just one of the recent changes I had never podcasted before a year and a half or so ago. And uh, I'm really like enjoying it. I mean, it's like, this is, this is good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So So I think. Oh, go go ahead. ahead.
0: So Uh, now that you have this, you know, uh, enriched idea, this, I I guess, epiphany. I mean, I don't know the best word. You have this deep insight into, gosh, this is what this means. And it resonates greatly. You have the knowledge. You You know where I'm going with this, don't you?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. How How often do you you slip back into maybe an old pattern of thinking? And what do you do to kind of put yourself back on track again?
1: Yeah. Great question. Because we can get lost in theology, right? And Mm -hmm. if theology is uh, even practical theology, if it's not applied, um, we're kind of missing the boat. I think that's part of what Jesus was pushing back against is people had their ideas and it never really got past much past that. Um, That's where uh, chapters five and six in my book. And then I tell my story uh, in chapter seven of how that kind of applied to me chapters five and six. I go back into the book of Hebrews because I got lost in a rabbit hole down in Genesis, you know, in the first part of the book. go through what I think is happening in the Mosaic law in chapter two. And so, you know, a lot of old Testament rabbit holes, um, chapter five and six, because really on the topic of biblical rest, those two chapters are kind of the linchpin for the new Testament. I mean, a lot of people go back and look at what Jesus did or said regarding this topic of rest And he said a lot, and that's all important. I'm not saying that's not. But Jesus was operating in a pre-cross environment the -hmm. majority of his time here on earth. So he was looking forward to a cross event um, happening someday. The people he was talking to had no real concept of what was about to happen. Mm -hmm. Hebrews, in in the other hand, was... Written after that cross event, after the ascension to heaven. And it's looking back on that event from a rest perspective. And there's considerable amount of space given to the topic. And one of the examples that they give, uh, the author gives in Hebrews, is of that generation that came out of Egypt, uh, slavery in Egypt in the Old Testament. Uh, The way it's stated in the Old Testament is they had an opportunity to enter into rest. And in their case, the example is to enter into the promised land. Mm -hmm. It was described as a land of rest. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, not a land full of hammocks (laughs) or a land full of days off. It's a land full of that encompassed God's rule where a people could go and live under God's rule in a state of rest Mm -hmm. okay so think of israel the physical land as that where everything's functioning properly That it was supposed to be a picture to the rest of the uh, creation of something that has gone terribly wrong everywhere else but here we do things right unfortunately it never happened (laughs) the way it was supposed to
2: (laughs) do things right like they were done in the garden um
1: I, I just living under God's rule and authority um uh some of the upside down things that the world uh has turned upside down were going to be righted. um and that's what the Mosaic law was intended to do in its basis, and it was an imperfect law. That's why it passed away. That's why Jesus came to fulfill those ideas. um It's not that the law was bad. it was just not. The fulfillment of the idea. Jesus is the one that gets us to the end goal of uh, rest, for instance. Um, and that's part of the argument in Hebrews is if Joshua had bring brought them rest, Joshua is that guy that followed Moses, right? Mm-hmm. Brought them into the promised land, that second generation. Author of Hebrews says if Joshua had brought them rest, David in a Psalm 95 that is quoted there in Hebrews wouldn't have talked uh, long after that period of time about something else that was still yet to come a, a rest that still survived that idea of the old Testament idea of rest. So it's not about moving a physical people into a physical land. That's not what rest is about. It's a soul condition. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we see that with Jesus's statement, right? With Matthew 11, um, come t- to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, really? and I will give you rest. We we want to think that's talking about physical weariness and physical heavy ladenness, if mm-hmm. that's a way to say it properly. <laughs> um, but the rest that Jesus speaks of, he clarifies it later in his statement. I will give you rest for your souls. He's not talking about physical rest. Mm-hmm. That may be a part of the picture. But he's talking about something much deeper, which we would expect Jesus to do. We would expect him to go deeper than just a physical (laughs) manifestation of something, right? Yeah. I don't know Um, why you'd expect that. Yeah. I mean, he did it with other parts of the Ten Commandments. He did it with murder. It's not about the physical act of murder. It's about the hate that you have in your soul, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We got to fix that problem. Right. So the Old Testament— Law. The way I like describing it is, it it's a uh, something that uh, addresses the symptoms, mm. the outward symptoms. My wife's a counselor. She's a trauma counselor, and um, I don't get to sit in with her clients. Uh, that's her deal. Uh, again, like quilting, I'd be out of my element there. <laughs> she's really good at what she does, but I have gleaned enough to know. Uh, and through my own counseling experience of being a counselee, when you sit down in that type of setting, you're not looking to solve the symptoms mm-hmm. on, only. That might be a part of the process, but the symptoms, if all you do is cure symptoms, you're never really getting to the heart issue. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about rest. It's it's that idea of... um. What is it in your life that causes you to not trust God with his function and order that he's created? And when is it that you come across life circumstances and your response is, I need to fix that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I need to get my hands in that from a creative standpoint, from a days one through six standpoint. And I need to make that right the way I think right is uh and we all do that um and i can't answer you know what that is for you for me um i had a situation in my life uh it was a financial crisis uh, early in our marriage actually Mm -hmm. when i left teaching and i went into real estate commission sales uh it took me about a year to find out that uh they don't just send you a check For showing up in commission sales, (laughs) they used to do that when I was a teacher. I used to show up and do my job, and they would they would pay me.
2: And they paid you,
1: (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, So we got into a bit of a bind financially, and our response early in our marriage, in my early twenties, and my wife's a couple years younger than me, um, we were young first time out of the shoot experiencing something like this. And we, I tried to fix it myself and it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. And I ended up laying in bed most of the time, not being able to get out. And I was depressed and literally first time in my life, I tried everything I knew to do to solve a problem Mm -hmm. and nothing was working. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I think we all get there in our lives somehow. Um, it might not be a financial thing. It might be a struggle with interpersonal relationships. It might be a family thing. It might be, uh, like, your story that you shared previously on, you know, with uh, children. Uh, it's a big part of your ministry and your podcast. Um, it's
0: actually, you know, what you say does, uh, it does line up with that, you know, for um, anybody who's just tuning in for the first time my daughter's had eight open heart surgeries and one of the things that is very clear to me is that it is a huge role that god designed me to be her mom he prepared me and prepped me to be able to carry her forth through the journey that she would need to face and her life is a I mean, she's a living testimony you know she has an incredible story but what you're talking about i had in terms of trying to take things into your own hands. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And it can be complicated. It can be confusing because, you know, you need to step forth. You need to, you know, we, we take steps and the Lord directs our path. And so you need to step forth because there are things you need to do. You need to advocate. You need to communicate with doctors. You need to clap your hands sometimes and say, let's get moving. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to be a voice. But then there are times when it's, you also have to let complete control be handed over. And I wonder about that idea because shouldn't we always be letting complete control be handed over? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah.
0: there are That's... times, you know, when she's been wheeled through those operative doors that I have no choice. There is no control you know I've always felt like Abraham a little bit and that I've had to bring my child to this altar and say please give her back to me God and he has you know thankfully and um but in that that same breath I'm like oh she's back she's back into the ICU let me check all her lines let me make sure everybody's doing everything they're supposed to do and I'm praying. <laughs> But it's very hard for me to get out of the way. Yep. So Crack
1: the whip on those nurses, that. right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Snap fingers, you know, yep. I'm polite, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we're always polite, yes.
0: <laughs> but definitely yeah, I think,
1: there. I think, that's, I think that's the key, though. Um, and let's talk about this, again, put it in terms of rest, because I think people are, it, it's a huge paradigm shift mm-hmm. to get away from this idea that rest is not doing anything. hmm if we're talking about soul rest, the thing that Jesus is really offering us, the thing that puts us to bed at night and lets us sleep well, it's it, the times I can't sleep at night, it's when I'm trying to figure out how things are going to work. <laughs> Something's gone awry in my life. And I'm not able to put that part of my life to bed. And so it keeps me up. And I I'm, suspect
0: you've spoken for every
2: I can't relate to that
0: person in the world at this point.
1: <laughs> just ruminating on what it is that's <clears> gonna <throat> happen in the next 24 hours and how I can fix it. And yeah, there's There's a different way of going about it, and I'm not saying that I have figured that out because uh, I woke up at 4 o'clock and had a hard time getting back to sleep uh, even this morning, Um, but if we can get to a point, and the way the author of Hebrews uh, writes about it is God's going to show himself faithful to you. Throughout life in various situations, because it's who he is, it's his nature, he is a faithful God. Mm. If we can learn about God's faithfulness in various areas of our life, and then learn how to apply that to every area of our life, the trust that we build in small areas into bigger areas. Um, I, I talk about the financial crisis that we had. Um, it's in the book, but and I won't uh, spend a lot of time on it, but God answered uh, that question in his timing in such a dramatic way that it was entirely clear that it was nothing having to do with me and it was all about him. It was not about us trying to fix it or our ability to fix it, and it was all his. And we learned that lesson dramatically early in our marriage, And then uh, that was at the beginning of my real estate career. Uh, The end of my real estate career was in 2008. And if (laughs) you're at all familiar with 2008, a lot of people got out of the real estate industry in 2008 because the whole financial sector just went Mm -hmm. belly up. Um, And I found myself, we found ourselves in a very similar situation financially where uh, the savings that we had built up in good times was dwindling fast and I was doing everything I knew how to do similar to early in my career and nothing was working. And what we had a chance to do at that point is go one of two ways. Uh, And this is kind of what the author of Hebrews talks about. It's um, how are you going to respond the next time a similar situation comes up that God's already shown himself faithful? And we, I, by that point in my life, I had uh, already been through my master's program and I had learned about rest here and I've been talking to people about rest. And so it was like front stage center, like, oh, you're bringing something across my plate where I can actually practice. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I literally got on our knees. And I I don't mean that figuratively. We physically got down on our knees, which we don't normally do. Um, when we pray. But we were at such a spot and we saw God working. Mm -hmm. And even though we were desperate, right? Because that's where life takes people. Even Mm -hmm. though we were desperate, we recognized it as God saying, trust me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so our prayer was dramatically different this time. Our first prayer was horrible. It was like, we're going to tell you what we're going to do and uh, hopefully you can bless it. That was our first prayer. <laughs> did not go well. Okay, we didn't ask for anything. We didn't look for guidance. This time it was, it was like, okay, here we go. I've been. I just did a retreat three weeks ago on this. Let's practice it. We got on our knees and we just literally said, "God, we have no idea what we're doing here. The situation we find ourselves in is brand new, even though it's eerily familiar."
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, from earlier in our lives. And we are going to trust you and we have no idea how this is going to play out, but we know that you have something in mind and we're willing to wait. Mm -hmm. We're still going to be busy. We're still going to do everything we know to do, uh, that you've taught us to do the things that are right to do. Uh, we're still going to try but we're not going to try and solve this one on our own. We're trusting that you've got something bigger going on and we'll wait and be patient. And lo and behold, guess what? He had a plan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> imagine. I yeah.
1: Imagine. And it's it easy involved
0: though to forget that it really is.
1: Oh, especially in the moment, especially when, um, when you're struggling to breathe,
2: right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it it's hard. I, I'm a swimmer. Um, uh, I swim for exercise uh, a lot. Um, and this last week, I was telling my wife, this last week, I got some sort of a hiccup as I was making a turn. I don't do flip turns. I'm way too big for that, and it's it's <laughs> awkward. It's not pretty. So um, I usually take a breath at the turn. And for some reason, I do this. You know, thousands of times a week. Um, I got a hiccup. And I exhaled as I was going underwater and, you know, I'm just swimming. So I know I'm not going to drown and I usually do two or three strokes and I decided I'm just going to do two or three strokes, even though I'm kind of out of breath. And by the end of that, just what, three seconds, I was starting to panic (laughs) because I couldn't breathe because even though, you know, it would have been super easy, I could have turned my head. I just. That really made an impact on me, such a small thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what happens in life, is we get into situations that are unexpected, a little hiccup, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we have a hard time finding our breath in life in a certain circumstance, and we start panicking right away. Mm -hmm. And if we can remember God's faithfulness, that's what the whole argument in Hebrews is. Today, if you hear his voice, the author says, don't harden your hearts like those people coming out of slavery who had an opportunity to experience rest, but backed away because they didn't trust God. Mm-hmm. Wow. Trust God in that circumstance. Today, if you hear his voice, don't respond that way, but lean in and experience the rest that God has. That's very good. Yeah. Cool. It's beautiful. Yeah. So... I, I would just encourage uh, you and your listeners um, to, if if you've sort of camped on this idea of Sabbath, uh, and you've always thought like like I always thought like the church does a great job of trying to teach that it's all about taking one day a, a week off from physical labor. Just want to encourage you to think of start thinking of that as. Uh, I call it a shadow ministry. The New Testament talks about um, the Old Testament in terms of shadows.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Shadows are good because they give a general outline of a substance, but they aren't the substance itself. And in terms of rest, uh, New Testament clear, Jesus is the substance, and He is the shadow caster. And so, let's not let's not focus on the shadow of rest, it has characteristics of what we're supposed to get, yeah. but it's not the full thing. Okay. And the more we can focus on our soul being God's focus, he's more concerned about our soul than it is about following a set of rules of what to do or not to do or keeping track on a watch for a 24-hour period of time. God's offer of rest was so much deeper than that. And I just think that we can get distracted by treating the symptoms.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we can never get to that point where we're actually digging into, what's the problem with my soul? Why am I not at rest? Why am I restless? That's really the opposite of rest, mm. is a, a life where we're restless. Yeah.
0: Well, that is incredible. I I see we're headed towards the end of our time here. What a note to end on. That is yeah. absolutely beautiful. Um for people who want to go purchase the book, where can they find it?
1: Yeah, so it's on Amazon, it's at barnesandnoble.com. it's at Christianbook.com. You can go to any of those places. Um uh, I think you mentioned I've got actually a couple websites. My rethinking scripture.com is kind of the one attached to. Uh, Most of my teaching, I've got videos there and my podcast is kind of based in there. Uh, And then I've got rethinkingrest.com as my book site. And there is a full uh, small group study that I've put together. It's free of charge. I've got a QR code in the book that you just scan and it goes right to the study. And so if you're in a small group or you even individual study, I've got Bible lessons and videos and all kinds of stuff attached to this concept of rest.
0: Oh, my goodness. That was just amazing. He has so much insight and truth in everything that he says i personally i feel awakened (laughs) i have thought about rest wrong my entire (laughs) life
2: (laughs) it made a lot of sense to me when he started talking about it just because where is the place that we feel it's hard for me to even say we feel the best And it's not about us, but we do feel the best when we are aligned with God Mm -hmm. and moving on the path that he's declared we need to go. And that does feel restful in a way, but the idea of rest tells us that's how we're functioning according to how God intended us to function. That's when we feel the best. That's when the best things happen to us and other people.
0: It's true. And that's one of the ways that this... Particular, I want to say lesson. lesson. He's not our Truth. teacher, but lesson. he is a teacher, yeah. right?
2: Insights.
0: Yes, it resonates so strongly because you can tell that it is on point. Like the idea of rest for me right now, I'm like, I could get, get to work and rest <laughs> <laughs> in a different way. You know, I need to adjust some, some thinking and whatnot, but also it's a message that I want to run and share and tell everyone about. You've got to hear this guy's story you need to hear this insight you have to read his book
2: yeah and also if we're yoked to jesus Mm because he mentioned in matthew 11 where jesus said take my yoke upon you if we're yoked to jesus he's leading and we're following so we are working but we're not struggling the way we would ourselves we are following and linked to him
0: Mm. forget about the times that you are off track and you kind of mm-hmm. know you're off track because you're feeling overwhelmed and things are just, you know, really yeah. stressful. And I'm not saying that things will, that if you're doing everything you need to be doing, that life won't be stressful because that's definitely not promised right. to us right. you know, it will. says in the but. Bible that we will indeed have tribulations in this life. But Even through those tribulations, when you know that you're in God's alignment, when you Mm -hmm. know that he has given you a clear word and you're following what it is that he has to do, there's a sense of joy and a sense of peace and indeed a sense of rest. Thank you for listening to That's the Hashtag Truth. Remember to catch new episodes every other week on your favorite podcast channels. To learn more, visit us at
2: JennyMuscatel.com or muscatelministries.com.